Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. Go ahead and stand with me as you clap to the Lord. I appreciate that. How's everyone this morning? Oh, man, the rain's kind of got you quiet, so we don't want to go back to that now. I heard you worship, so I know you guys got some voice left in you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace, your mercy, your goodness in the name of Jesus. Our heart is bowed just by your spirit, by your grace. Infuse our heart, open it up so we can hear the things that you want to say to us. In the name of Jesus, everyone says... Amen, amen. You may be seated. Wave at your neighbor. Let them know you're grateful for them to be here one more time. As you guys saw, the uh, worship team and the media team, those guys are wearing jerseys. We believe that this is a, a great thing. They're showing, you know, their team effort. This is Super Bowl Sunday. And we, yeah, woohoo! Some of you are like, I don't care. I'm going to go home and read a book. Doesn't matter to me. <laughs> Some of us are like, oh, we've been anticipating this moment. Um, but, uh, but welcome for that. We're, we're glad that you're part of that. And uh, for all of our media, all of our worship, thank you guys so much for all that you do. Um, but, it, but today as we talk about marriage, we talk about, wow, the vows. One thing that I do know is it is a team effort. Can I get an amen on that? It's a team effort. And today as I reveal what's on my heart, I pray that uh, your hearts would be open to that as well. And um, we do it in the right manner. Um, we're going to talk about some difficult things. We're going to talk about some important things. And we just pray that the Lord will um, lead us and guide us on that. You know, one of the interesting things about marriage, which is going to be the next three-week series, and of course we have the marriage conference coming up and things of that nature, is one thing that I know is that marriage is a mystery. Sometimes my wife looks at me and thinks, I wonder what in the world he's doing. Sometimes I look at her and I think the exact same thing. What in the world is going through her mind? And I think that's a lot more complicated what going through a woman's mind than a man's mind. I think we can't really hold more than one or two things in our head at, at once, but a woman's really good at uh, compartmentalizing. But one thing that we do know, it's a mystery. And as we look out through history, you see all kinds of mysteries. We see the mystery, is Elvis still alive? Hunter Biden's laptop, where's that at? <laughs> Donald Trump's tax returns? I don't know. JFK, the magic bullet theory. Did a bullet really turn a 45? The grassy knoll. Plato, the lost city of Atlantis. Where's the Ark of the Covenant at? Said it's been seen multiple times. The death of Marilyn Monroe, that's, a, that's one, isn't it? The Bermuda Triangle, I mean, we could go on and on, and we see in the history and the different things like that that it's plagued with mysteries, things that we just don't know, we can't answer, we don't know what happened. As a history guy, one of my the most interesting ones is around 1500s, whenever um, Mr. White went and dropped off 120 colonists at Roanoke. Left for three years because he had to return to England to get supplies and different things like that. Came back and boom, everybody was vanished. They don't know what happened. They don't know if they died of natural causes, if a Native American tribe had taken them over or what happened. They just, they don't know. It's just a mystery. Well, some of the things in our life with marriage as we talk about it, we have to understand that it's a mystery. Paul helps us understand that. If you want to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 31, we won't read it all, but it's interesting what Paul begins to speak about. He begins to help us understand that there are two positions and two only in marriage. And Ephesians chapter 5, 22, verse 31, he helps us out. He starts out with wives. So here's your chance, men. Here's your chance. 
they, she, I'm, just, I'm very careful, okay? So whenever Mary and I, whenever we said our vows, you know, the famous vow um, in there that uh, I'm going to honor, love, cherish, and obey. Mary said, I ain't saying that. I'm not going to obey you. I said, are you sure? Because uh, I would like it a whole lot. <laughs> she took that out. So I'm going to be careful with what I say, but Paul's writing here, and he goes... You need to be subject. Wives need to be subject to their husbands in everything. Not my words, the Bible. Don't throw stuff at me. Not my words, the Bible. Wives, respect your husbands. And then he goes on through that same discourse, and we'll get to this a little bit later in our series. Wives should um, strive for, for holiness. I mean, he helps wives understand that you should be submitted to your husband, that you should be faithful and these type of things, and, and respect your husbands. is very interesting because Paul ends with um, wives should respect their husbands and husbands should love their wives, two very important things. But... Then he turns to husbands, so now it's your turn, ladies. He says that husbands are the leader of the home and the family. That's our responsibility as we have decided to marry the love of our life. We have decided to uphold that position, and it's a hard one. Leading is hard, but we're a leader of the home and the family. Then he goes on and he said, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Christ died for the church. Christ put his needs behind the needs of the church. As men, we're called to do that. As husbands, particularly, we look up and we say, God, that you've called us. We are to love our wives as you love the church. And you gave everything for the church. So we have to give everything for our wives. Husbands are to nourish their wife and to cherish their wife. It says one of the ways that we help keep our wives clean, or the way, if you will, is by the washing of the Word. That means we need to read the Word of God over our wives. We need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to empower them to be holy. See, it's not just a one-sided thing. Well, you're not being holy right now because you're not obeying me, woman. That's a great way to get something thrown at you. Dents all over our houses, right, that we don't talk about, you know. Because things have been thrown at us and we've ducked quick enough. Oh, come on now. It happens. But we see what we're given as husbands and as wives. And then you got to love Paul here, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32. He winds up saying this, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, whenever he says this, he's helping us understand that there's a great mystery about how much Christ loves the church and everything that Christ has done for the church. And Christ loves us more deeply than we can understand, and He loves others more deeply than us than we want to admit sometimes. But He does, and it's a mystery how He does and how He loves and, and His amazing Spirit and his, his grace and His goodness. And we know that it's real, but we can't always explain it. Now, the union between a man and a woman in marriage is a reflection of the union of Christ and His church. That's what it is. It's a reflection. So this is what I know about reflections. When I look in the mirror, the mirror doesn't always tell the whole story. It tells me what's on the outside, but it doesn't always tell me what's going on on the inside of my heart and my life and my mind. Amen? So what I know is if Christ... And the church is a great mystery, and we are the reflection of that in marriage and holy matrimony in the union that God puts together, then I can guarantee you that's a mystery too. So welcome for all you who are married, 
for all you who've been married 50 years or 40 years or 20 years, for you guys who are thinking about getting married, welcome to the great mystery of life. Marriage. How two people can love each other and commit their lives to one another. It's a mystery. And Paul says that, and we have to understand that that's exactly what it is. But it's a beautiful mystery, a union that reflects Christ and how much he loves his church. Because one day, how many of us know he's coming back to get us, amen? And our hearts better be ready. And he's not, he's not looking for some scuffed up bride who's got better things to do than to chase him as, as a bridegroom, amen? Well, what he's looking for is a spotless bride, a bride who says, listen, Christ, you're number one and everything else is number two, so I'm going to chase you with my whole heart. That's what he's looking for. Blameless. God, you're number one in our hearts and our minds. That doesn't mean we're perfect, but it does mean we're number one, that you're number one and we are, we are not. It's a mystery of how, love, how Christ loves us and, of course, he loves the church and how it reflects and... So many things that we cannot see when we look in the reflection, but one thing that we know that it does is the mystery that it is. So today we're going to talk about this mystery, and we're going to answer three easy questions really in the midst of all this. What is marriage? Why is it difficult? And how do we have a successful marriage? And that's a lot to unpack. But I want us to sit back, and everybody, first of all, take a deep breath. Look at your spouse and tell them how much you love them and you care about them. And say, after this, we're still going to love each other. If you're about to have a spouse and you think somebody's going to marry, you take some really good notes, okay? But we're going to talk about this. What is marriage? I think it's a good question. Now, me, I grew up in church a majority of my life, and I understood what marriage was. If not reading the Scriptures myself, I would say this, that it was not proclaimed, the definition of marriage was not proclaimed as much from the pulpit because we, let, we lived in a less confused generation than we do today. And, and what I mean by that is we, we live, we, I grew up more in a biblical-centered culture than what we do today. And, and, and what we're going to talk about, marriage is not just a Christian view of marriage because I walk into a lot of Christian churches and in about 10 minutes I'm ready to turn around and walk out because they're not preaching the Bible. So we don't want to just say we have a Christian worldview of marriage. We have a biblical perspective, a biblical view of how God designed marriage. And that's what we must chase. Now listen to me. If we're going to call ourselves children of the Most High God, we have surrendered our hearts and our life to Jesus Christ and made Him our Lord and Savior, then we do not have a choice to answer or to look to or to do anything other than what the Word of God says. For if we do, then we have to be challenged in our salvation because Jesus says people will know that you're disciples by the way that you love me and you do what I say to do it doesn't matter my emotions have to be taken out my feelings have to be taken out of this equation now it doesn't mean they're not real and we're going to deal with that but whenever we come back what is the biblical view so what is marriage Marriage, of course, the reflection of a sacred and beautiful mystery in the union between Christ and His church. Christ designed for a man and woman who are committed in an intimate relationship. So if you're taking notes, this will help you out. What is marriage? It's God's design for man and woman who are in a committed, intimate relationship. If you're going to have physical intimacy and, you're going to, and you say that you're a Christian... It has to be within the bounds of marriage. 
Well, that's not very popular, but it has to be within the bounds of marriage. Marriage is set up in Scripture for us. So this is not Matt's opinion. It's not Pastor Mike's opinion. It's not the opinions of whoever. It's what the Bible says. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, from the very foundation. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So God looked down as he created Adam, and he said, I've got to get him some help. Thank God we have some help, right, man? Got to get some help there. I got to make him a helper. When I sit down and counsel with young men and young women who are getting married, I tell them, you have to be very careful. Where are you going? Because your wife or your husband will be your helpmate. And if you don't know where you're going and what you're doing, how are you going to find help to know where you're going and what you're doing? If we're just out here like, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm just, man, I'm just hanging and it's going to be all right. No, it's not. Kumatata, man, it's not going to be all right. You got to know. Now, you don't have to have it all figured out, but you have to know that general direction. God said, I look down, and uh, I, I'm going to make a helper that's fit for him, and, and God has that. And then Genesis chapter 2, 22 through 25, And the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So Adam fell in a deep sleep. He removed a rib. It's in Scripture. Just for time's sake, I can't read it all. And then the man, uh, then the man said, So Eve has been created. And this is what the man has said. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man, and here it goes, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Well, Matt, that's a great view, a man and a woman. But, man, that's Old Testament. In our culture today, you know, we have all these teachings that the Old Testament really isn't really that relevant. It's, it's maybe just a cultural thing. There's several things in there that we just have to discount whenever God begins to speak and say live life like this so well how about how about in the new testament church that we live in i'm glad you asked that question matthew chapter 19 verses 4 through 6 the words of our lord and savior he answered he's talking to pharisees and sadducees and these leaders and he's talking about some very complicated issues about marriage and divorce and all these type of things that we see today have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And we see that Jesus then begins to say the same thing that we learn in Genesis chapter 2 at the foundations of the world. And if you read through the writings of Paul, whenever he's writing to his friends at Ephesus, you'll see the same thing over and over again. It goes back. The pattern stays the same. They were created male and female. A male is united with a female, and that is marriage in a biblical view. They leave and they cleave to each other. They are now one, and something happens when I'm up conduct conducting wedding ceremonies, one of my favorite things to do. I reiterate this. We have to believe that there's something that happens in the cosmos that we can't hardly explain. But we know that the two become one, and that is marriage. That as God looks down from heaven and he sees what's going on in our life, that he looks at husband and wife as one. That's the reason why the Bible says, how can two walk together unless they're one? 
But at the same time, we see in Scripture that it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul puts it. So we are yet uniquely individual in our salvation experience, but whenever it comes to marriage, the two fleshes become one, and God blesses, and God corrects, and God leads and guides, uh, guides as though we're one. Aren't you glad God is so much smarter than we are? How does all of that stuff happen? Well, there's something that divinely happens that is hard to explain, but we know from Scripture that it happens. Now, that blessing is not found when a man marries a man or when a woman marries a woman. That is not biblical marriage. It is not in the Scripture. It is not biblical marriage. It's a sham. It's a false marriage. It's something that's okay by culture, but it is not. You cannot be a child of God, surrendered yourself to Jesus Christ, and say, this is okay. It is not biblical. Old Testament, New Testament, it is not biblical. Now, I put much prayer and thought and consideration into this because I don't want to come across like an arrogant jerk. But at the same time, whenever we talk about truth, it's very important that we understand what the world says and what the Bible says. What is marriage? It's a union between a man and a woman. They leave their families and they begin to build their life together. They save all intimacy for marriage. That is marriage. Shacking up together is not marriage. It's coming in and saying we're going to surrender our hearts and our lives to one another and we're going to stand before God and, and make a commitment, a covenant to one another. It's God's design in a committed, intimate relationship between man and woman. Marriage is a union between a man and woman. It's a heart decision that is expressed by an outward act. One of the things that we cross quite frequently in our culture is Matt, and this is where it's going to get real, so just roll with me. We're going to take some deep breaths on this. Matt, how then do I function in a society? Because how many of us know whenever our kids are wrapped up in it and our grandkids and close friends and things like that, things get a little emotional and hard to handle, doesn't it? It sure does. So, so, so pastor, if I know that my friends that are homosexual are going to go get married, how do I support that? How do I navigate those waters if my grandkids or if people that are really close to me or kids or, or whatever the case is, how do I do that? It's a great question. And it's something we should search for because we don't know where everybody comes from. We no longer live in a biblical culture. As we've expelled God from the different organizations and, and, and things of that, institutions in our United States, forgive me for this, but this we now have from a biblical worldview. We no longer have Christians that are trying to pour in to people who have gone away that are now, that are now um, turning into heathens, but unfortunately we have heathens raising heathens. And what I mean by that is we have men and women who do not have any kind of biblical morality and they're going to do it their way. They might have a value that looks biblical, but the internal realization of them laying down their life before Jesus Christ is not there. 
so it's just something good. And as we say at every funeral service I preach, I totally stole it from Pastor Mike. It doesn't matter how educated we are. It doesn't matter how big our bank account is. It doesn't matter how good we are. Those things will not get us into heaven. The only thing that will get us into heaven is that we surrender our life to Jesus Christ. And the way that people know that we surrender our life to Jesus Christ is they look into our lives and they see that we do it His way, not our way, not culture's way, not anybody else's way. Amen? But we do that with love and grace. See, marriage is a celebration. I sit down and I teach young people, if I take off this ring, I'm still married. This ring is an outward expression of an inward decision. That's what a wedding is. A wedding, whenever you go to ceremonies and these things and you celebrate, it's the outward expression of something that, that has already been inly, inwardly committed to the man and to the woman. And whenever we go to those celebrations and we sit back and we try to do our best to show support, to show love, we can't do that because we cannot celebrate sin. So how do we balance that, Pastor? We cannot go to the form of something godly knowing it, de it denies the power thereof. So whenever we go to, if you go to these ceremonies or, or you've got an invitation, you must not go because you're sitting back and saying, listen, we're celebrating this with you. No, we cannot celebrate sin in a life of sin. And it's going to be one of the hardest gut-wrenching things you've ever done because you know that other person is good and they're good people, but goodness does not get us into heaven. It's Jesus Christ. And it's hard because we've got kids and grandkids and all these different friends. Now, does that mean that you can't eat with them, you can't hang out with them? That's a different story because Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. But whenever he did that, he was not celebrating their life of sin nor condoning it. John 3, 16, we know, but John 3, 17, for he did not come to this world to condemn the world, but through him it might be saved. If Jesus did not condemn, nor do I have the power to condemn. But I, be, I have to be careful that I don't condone and say it's okay. Marriage is God's divine plan and design. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. So the next thing, it's a covenant, not a contract. Let's look at the elements of contract because we live in a contractual society. We live in a society where um, it's difficult. I, whenever Mary and I first got married, man, we didn't have anything. Some of, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about. Didn't have two nickels to rub together. You know what I mean? I, we were broke. Broke. And uh, we thought, we have a really great idea. Let's go into debt so we're not broke. <laughs> that just meant we were more broke and we didn't know it. Oh... Anyways, we're much like you guys, so that's fine. We went out and bought furniture, and I remember it was $3,000. And I'm telling you, man, I signed that contract, and I had to pay it off in a couple years. And I remember signing that contract. We signed it together, and we felt like we were signing our life away, man. Oh, my goodness, that things would only cost $3,000 today. <laughs> you know what I mean? You got to go buy a car, and you're like, I got to pay that for 72 months? It was a contract, Matt. We're going to give you this, but we expect this back out of you. And now we live in a society where those contracts are not even three years. Hey, we don't even want you to be in a contract. Let's just go from a month-to-month -month deal. 
And we live in that society and we cannot think that marriage is contractual. Contracts, the elements of it, they're, they're, they're for a limited time. There's an expiration date on them. Many times that wording says this, if you will then, then I will, and that's the attitude. I will do this if you do that. And there's always motivation to get something. There's always some, I'm, I've got a motivation to make a sale or to make this or to have you come back and, and, and buy more or whatever it is. And they're always made for protection. Now, this is the hardest thing. Contracts are always made for protection. It's to protect. I remember my first, um, when I had a contract with one of the ministries that I worked with, and it was a 10-month internship. It was my first one. And I was to complete this, 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 and this. And I remember I was two months away from the end of my um, internship, and I walked in. I hadn't completed some studies that I needed to. And I was expecting grace and mercy and different things like that. You know what I mean? Because after all, I mean, I had to procrastinate. It was completely my fault. And I walk in there, I remember looking the pastor straight in the eyes, and he goes, Matt, he said, you're in breach of contract here. You've got to burn the midnight oil or do whatever it is that you need to do to make sure you handle what you have to handle. Because that's what a contract was. I had made an agreement. Marriage is not a contract. It includes more than, more, more than two individuals. Many times contracts includes multiple individuals, and that's not what a covenant is. Jeremiah chapter 31, also found in Hebrews 8, this gives us an ideal of a covenant. It's what we've made with our, it's what our Savior's made with us. For this is the covenant, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33 through 34. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I will no longer, I, I no longer shall, um, Excuse me, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor or each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities and I will remember their sin no more. And he talks about a covenant that is between me and that individual. That no longer is it this thing that we just teach and know, but I'm going to know that person individually. They're going to write my commandments on their heart because I will live within them. And we see the power of a covenant. Here's some elements of a covenant. A covenant are for the benefit of the other. If you're going to really make a covenant, it's not what I can get out of it. I'm making this covenant so I can help you, so I can pour into you. I mean, that's exactly what Jesus did to us. It did him no good to come down to earth and, and to die on a, on a cross and all those other things that we know that he did. He did it because he loved us and he cared for us and he knew that it was the way. In marriage, it has to be looked at as a covenant. It's not, I'm trading something with you. I'm being nice to you, and you give me physical intimacy, or I'm emotionally okay with you, so you're going to give me these things. No, I'm entering into a covenant before God that this wife or my husband, that I'm going to do my very best to make sure that their needs are met. And if that means putting mine on the back burner, that's what I will do because they're more important than me. That's what a covenant is. Marriage is a covenant. Marriage is also means that someone is always exposed. There's not a whole lot of protection in it in the sense that you put yourself out there. A covenant is based on steadfast love. That means oh, time and time and time again, I'm going to give myself. I'm going to love. I'm going to go past what people think are normal boundaries because I'm in love with this person. I've made a commitment. Or, excuse me. I've made a covenant 
Commitments are permanent in a covenant marriage. One of the reasons why um, divorces, and I'm not knocking divorces or anything, but divorces are so difficult and they're so messy and they're so hard is because they're taking permanent decisions in people's mind and we're pulling that apart. And it makes life difficult and messy and hard. And people are hurt. People don't know how to handle that. That's the reason why you must know as you go forward what we're getting into. It's, it's required confront, confront, um, confrontation and forgiveness. Listen, in a covenant, you're confronted with things that you have to change. But there also has to be a lot of forgiveness, amen? Man, we're imperfect. Finally, it's just between two people. It's amazing if you think of the covenant. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But whenever we stand before each other, husband and wife, male and female, at the altar, they make a covenant. I tell the people who do this, whether they're young and old, I said, listen, I'm excited as your pastor to be there, and I'm excited your friends and family and everybody else has shown up. But let me tell you something. The greatest witness that you have is the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is looking down on you right now and going to hold you accountable for this decision, so know what you're getting into. That's, that's tough, isn't it? But that's biblical. It's between two people. You're, you're making a covenant because we would love to say that we wake up every day and feel married. Oh, when I wake up, angels are singing. It's reminding me. <sighs> Come on now. Every day you don't wake up and feel that way. If you do, write a book and you'll be a millionaire. Let me know. You get to preach next Sunday. Probably, probably going to lie, though. You can't lie behind a pulpit. And it's tough. It's tough, but that's what a covenant is. It's why is it so difficult? Why, why is this marriage thing so difficult? This union between man and woman. The reason why it's so difficult is because there's two humans in the mix. Oh, man. And with humans, you get all the luggage and the baggage and the emotional things and all that stuff, amen? Pride, all that stuff. I love how Scripture puts it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, we read at the very end of that verse, and to the dust you shall return. Job chapter 10, verse 9, he had an epiphany. He said, listen, remember that you have made me like clay. He understands that he is dust of the earth and where he comes from. Then I love what 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul helps us out. And he says, but we have this treasure talking about salvation, talking about the Holy Spirit in our lives in jars of clay. See, two humans are nothing more than jars of earth and clay. We're made from the dust, and once we pass away and we breathe our last, we'll return to dust. That's hard to think about, isn't it? Well, God, that seems really, really simple. We're just dust. But this is what I found out. You guys, we talk about the West Annex out here. I learned a lot from the moving of that dirt and piling on of dirt. And you got to put concrete on dirt. And you got to make sure everything is set. And there's, there's things that you have to do right. And you have to take measurements. And you have to take consistencies. This is what I found out, that dirt is simple. But working with dirt can get complicated. Dirt's simple, but man, whenever you start to build things, you start to move it around and change it, the complication starts. Man, you need engineers, 
You need to consider things you never would have considered before. Listen, I ran around all I was riding my mountain bike. I rode it all over this place. Never once did I just fall into the dirt and flip over or anything like that. But now we're building the foundation out here, and we have to have a big machinery come on it and pack it down. We have to put beer, pier holes in the, in the bottom of it, and then we have to pour concrete. But just a second ago, I was riding on it. I mean, there wasn't nothing wrong with it. It was safe. Yeah, but whenever you start moving it and start building things on it, it gets complicated real fast. Whenever we start building marriages between two, a man and a woman, between two humans, things get complicated real quick. And it gets more complicated, throwing a couple kids, throwing a little debt, throwing life comes at you fast. Oh, yeah, you're talking about sleepless nights and frustrations. My wife and I, our first year, man, we had people come up to us and say, listen, you're going to love it, man. Your first year is going to be one of the best years you've ever had. Oh, it's amazing, you know, just you're learning each other. You're going to have great times together. The physical intimacy, all this stuff, and we, we were anticipating it. And you can even ask my wife. She'll tell you for free. <laughs> she will. She just tells the story because it's funny. That was the worst year of our entire lives. I don't know how in the world we didn't kill each other, man. Oh, my goodness. It was tough. I'm not lying. She'll tell you straight up. Two worlds colliding together, two people doing life their way. You know, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter when you're in love. I'm in love. It doesn't matter if you grab the toothpaste and you squeeze it in the middle and not at the end. It doesn't matter that you open up the dishwasher and you stick the fork prongs down and not up. It doesn't matter that that, that, that dirty pair of clothing has been in the floor a couple weeks. Hey, we're in love. And then all of a sad, sudden, love wears out. And, and I'm not being petty, but stick the fork things down. Grab the toothpaste and don't just set it on the hairbrush. And then she looks at me and says, Matt, when you get through shaving, do you think you could wipe off the sink and maybe get rid of some of those hair particles? If I think about it, it doesn't bother me. It's not like I'm eating in the sink. <laughs> We're in love. Well... All I need is love. No, you need a job. You know why we need a job? Just to get away from each other on occasion. <laughs> it's complicated. It's humans. Dirt's simple. But boy, when you start getting dirt involved and start building on it, trying to make a life, it gets complicated real fast. Humans. Humans make things complicated. Another thing that I've learned is it's a divine plan. This is what Jesus says about our enemy, John chapter 8, verse 44. He's talking to the leaders of Jerusalem who have turned their backs on him and they're doing everything really Satan says. And he lets them know, he said, you are, um, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Marriage between man and woman is a divine plan. It's not a plan of man, it's not an opinion, it's the divine plan sent down by God from the foundations of the world, and Satan hates it. That's the reason why it's hard. 
That's the reason why you look at your marriage and trying to make it work and love one another and you do all these things and you look out and you see these people who are not doing that, who are just living together or going out and partying and doing their lifestyle or whatever it is. And from the outside, man, they look like they have it all together and we kind of feel like, David, God, I'm, I'm striving to do my best to honor you and it looks like my enemies are prospering. Can you explain this to me? Yeah, because Satan has their eyes covered and they're headed toward a, toward a fiery burning hell because their hearts are not right with Jesus Christ. But for ours who are doing our very best to fight for the very foundational thing that God has instituted from the foundation of the world, Satan hates that. And he'll lie against you. It's in his character. And he'll tell you to stop. And he'll tell you to quit. And he'll tell you to be selfish. And we have all of those desires and those things that we fight through. It's a divine plan. And we have an enemy who hates it and wants to destroy it. God doesn't care, or excuse me, Satan doesn't care as long as we're not doing it God's way. Whenever we do it God's way, that's what matters. Finally, the third question, how do we have a successful marriage? You got to have it Christ-centered. That's priority number one. You got to have your priorities in a row. Well, Pastor Matt, how do we make sure that we have a Christ-centered marriage? Let me ask you a question. If you took out the church equation out of your life, Could somebody follow you into your home and know that you were a Christian? Could they look at the entertainment that comes across the screen? Could they look how you and husband and wife treat each other and see that it's biblically based? Could they see how you influence and teach your children and your grandchildren? Could they see that your life is more tied up in the commandments and what God's called us to do than entertainment and things that we want to be a part of that so easily pull at us? Would they be able to look at your finances and things of those natures and see that, hey, these people follow God? Christ-centered is a very difficult thing because you've got to get really real with where you're at. I was talking to Mary yesterday, and the story that I'm about to share, I said, can I share that? She said, Matt, you have to share that because that's the reason why our marriage is still standing. See, to have a Christ-centered marriage, it really starts with Repentance. Believing that we've done everything right, man, we're human clay earthen vessels. Mary and I, our anniversary is 678. She got married on that day, so I would remember. So. And as we led up, we know up to the marriage date and everything, we know we didn't do everything right. We knew that there were some sinful things in our life that we had to get straightened out. We knew there were some things that we thought and things that we did just were not godly. And if we were to have a marriage like no other marriage, then we had to do what others were not willing to do and make sure that that marriage was starting out Christ-centered. That night we got married and we celebrated our wedding, as you do. And what we had decided to do was We were staying there in Wichita Falls and our honeymoon was in Eureka Springs and we were going to spend the night in a great hotel and that had all the stuff and and all that wonderful stuff. She and I got started talking about, we're like, listen, there's a missionary that's going to be at our church. We were married on a Saturday, the next morning, Sunday morning. And there's going to be a missionary there. And... uh, We said, we're going to do this differently. We're going to take the money that we would use to celebrate our wedding night in the the hotel, and we're going to put that to the side, and 
We're just going to retreat and go back to our apartment. And we're going to show up to church the next day. And we're going to bring an offering before the Lord. And say, God, we want to do this your way. We know we've been imperfect. We, we know there's been sin. We want to do this right. When I sit down and I counsel with young people, I try to get them to understand this. Marriage is not repentance. If you've been living together and you've been acting like you're married and now you're about to get married, that is not repentance. Thank God you're beginning to do things right and we're excited. But you got to look back on your old life and say, I never want to go back to that again. The way that I lived, even if it was good for a season, God, that was not from you. I want to live in your boundaries, in your borders, what you call marriage. Many times, if you're not careful, you look back and it happens all the time. Pastor Matt, it seemed like we had more fun before we were married. Well, sin is good for a, a while. But truthfully, that's a hard issue. You're telling me that you would rather go back and live out of the bounds of marriage to have pleasure than married within the bounds. We walked in and we sat to the right of the stage. We were minding our own business and my pastor at that time, he, he looked at us and he said, I want to be careful, I don't want to be cute here. He said, but typically when you get married, the, the morning after you get married, you're not coming to church to hang out. He said, Matt, I want you to come up. And I grabbed the microphone and I laid my hand on that missionary. I can't even remember his name. I laid my hand on that missionary and I said, God bless him. And I just began to pray a prayer over him. Mary and I sold our seed. We went back, sat through the surface, got up and went on our honeymoon. And I'm convinced like Mary is that act that was in line with a heart. God, we want to do this right. You have to have a Christ-centered marriage. Do you pray for your spouse? Do you sing over them? I'm sure you love them, and that's what we need to do. But the reality is I come to the end of myself in love. But God never runs out of love, so I've got to do it His way. Then kids come next. You have to honor and love and cherish your kids. But hear my heart on this. Parents, if you don't run the kids, the, run, the kids will run your home. And there is more marital disputes about that than you can shake a stick at. Your kids are second God is primary. Your relationship has to be number one after God and then your kids. Then we move into work and church and these type of things. You cannot put your family before God. But you have to put your husband or wife above the other. More important than mom and dad's opinion and all that kind of stuff. You leave and cleave, man. So my challenge this morning is simply this. And we're going to all answer the altar call together. Where are you at? Have you been struggling with the foundations of marriage? Have you been struggling with why it's so difficult? Would you say, hey, Matt, there's just some stuff in my heart i got to get right. Maybe you're married right now, and you're finding the frustrations and the difficulty, and this has sparked you to look back and say, hey, there's some things i got to go back and get right in my heart. It's what James says whenever you confess your sin that you may be healed. Let God heal that stuff and move forward.
So would you stand up with me all over the congregation? I'm going to ask my altar workers to go ahead and be dismissed and kind of stand down here at the front. And if you would, yeah, come on down. Now, I'm going to release, as they're walking down, I'm going to release everybody from their seats to come on down. If you need special prayer, they're, they're here. But husbands and wife, grab, grab, grab each other's hand and walk down the aisle together. If, if you're not married, I want you to answer the altar call. Come on down here. That means you're looking. That means that there's something going on in your life. I know some of you young people are like, I do not. You're not getting married by answering this altar call. But we're going to pray for everybody because we don't want anybody to be alone. Come on down. Slip out of your seats. Everybody come on down. If you're not looking to get married, then come down and stretch out your hand and put it around some of these guys and pray for them. Say, Lord, help them in their decision. My goodness. I was riding my bicycle, as you guys continue, I was riding my bicycle a while back and three dogs came up beside me and trapped me. Snarling teeth, they meant business, dude. And all I had was a bicycle and spandex. That's not a whole lot to protect yourself with. I could see their teeth snarling and I was yelling for help. Marriage can feel like that. I hear the howls of the enemy. I hear the, the, the snarls. I see the teeth. What I didn't know is there was a guy behind me that came out with a tire iron and began to chase the dogs away. Let me tell you something, you got a Savior who has your back. If you'll call out for some help, it doesn't matter how scary, how difficult the situation, He'll begin to rise up and He'll put down some protection. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. Thank You for these wonderful people today, God. Thank You for the marriages that are represented here, God, as they hold hands, husbands and wives, God, believing for You to do amazing things. Young people just even thinking about getting married, God. Let their eyes be open to what you've called them to. And Father, we believe in strong marriages and strong families, God, strong individuals. So we pray your blessing on husband and wife as we try to do this thing your way. In the midst of the difficulty, God, we know that your grace and mercy can swoop in and save us and change the situation. Let our hearts be open to that, God. Let the marriages be strong. Father, let us love our husband and our wife, God, like you've called us to love. And Father, for the many other things that are represented here at the altar, God, maybe sickness, maybe illness, God, maybe frustration. God, maybe somebody's dealing with something internally and they need your help, that your grace and mercy would just be poured out. Thank you for these wonderful people, God. Thank you for the things that have been straightened out at the altars, God, this morning. Repentance of sin, believing that you can change and make their marriage stronger and stronger. God, pour out your grace and mercy on them, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, and everybody says, amen, amen. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.